Welcome to Sports Talk with Tonsoni, the Indiana Baseball Edition. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni, and along with Chris Feeney, Josh Bennett, Cassidy Palmer, and Carl James, we will be bringing you information on Indiana baseball. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Talking Hoosier Baseball. I'm Brian Tonsoni, and tonight we have a very special guest. Tonight's guest graduated from the Indiana University School of Business in 1962 and from the Indiana University School of Law in 1965. While at Indiana, he played baseball for the Hoosiers and was a two-time All-Big Ten baseball player, finishing as the second-leading hitter in the Big Ten in 1961. After his time at Indiana University, he went on to be a successful businessman in the life insurance business in Indianapolis and worked on several committees to bring professional sports to the area. In 2017, he was inducted into the Indiana Baseball Hall of Fame. He is now active in numerous numerous philanthropies involving youth baseball, Indiana University Foundation, Indiana University Athletics, and the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, to name just a few. He and his wife, Judy, are the parents of four children, and 13 grandchildren. It is my privilege to welcome Mr. Bart Kaufman. How are you doing this evening? Great. Uh, We're really glad to be able to talk some baseball, one of the best sports around. And um, doing a little bit of research, I saw when you were inducted into the Indiana Baseball Hall of Fame, your friend Del Harris, a great basketball coach, uh, introduced you at the Hall of Fame, and he quoted, and he said this, I quote, we all love baseball, but nobody loves baseball any more than Bart Kaufman. Sir, how did the love of the game of baseball become so strong uh, in your life? Well, I started back, I uh, grew up in Shelbyville, and uh, my mother was an avid uh, fan. She came from Cincinnati, and I spent a lot of time at Crosley Field. Uh, my dad had a greater interest in basketball. He was very close friends with uh, Branch McCracken, uh, it was my dad that uh, worked with the Indianapolis clergy and uh, uh, with Dr. We- with uh, President Wells in uh, getting the uh, Bill Garrett to be the first uh, African American basketball player in the Big Ten. So our interest in our family was uh, centered around Indiana University athletics in general, uh, basketball in particular. Baseball did not really become into it there because. Uh, baseball, as I've described many times, uh, at the college level and at Indiana University has always been kind of the redheaded stepchild of the athletic department. Uh, the resources were uh, placed into basketball and football. And so uh, baseball, uh, I knew uh, uh, Coach Andres uh, uh, from the standpoint to give you an idea of the difference between uh, then and now. Uh, Ernie, uh, after he finished playing for the Red Sox and he then uh, was playing and coaching for the Indianapolis Kotskis into the uh, uh, forerunner of the uh, NBA, um, and he came back to campus uh, for Branch and uh, he was uh, named baseball coach. This was in 1949. And uh, uh, but that wasn't enough. He had to teach classes. He had a full load of classes uh, to teach. And 
he was Fred, he was assistant basketball coach. And if you look at the pictures of the national champions in 53, uh, Branch was the head coach and his, he only had one assistant coach and that was Ernie. So, and then Ernie was expected then to coach baseball at the same time that he was uh, going through a national championship run in basketball. So the baseball team didn't have a head coach until the basketball season was over. So uh, uh, baseball didn't have a very high priority uh, on campus. And and yet there were some successful teams on campus. Uh, The 1949 team was Big Ten champions, if I'm right. And that was uh, Coach Andrews' first year, right? Yes. uh, Ernie, uh, that team, uh, which was really comprised of uh, the best players, uh, as, uh, uh, as uh, which was continued, uh, were basketball players. Uh, Lou Watson was on that team. Don Luff was on that team. Uh, Bill Toshif uh, was on that team. These were all guys in the basketball team. So uh, uh, they uh, won the Big Ten that year. Uh, and uh, uh, several of those men uh, were coming back from World War II and uh, uh, but uh, the thing was, uh, there were no uh, resources allocated uh, to baseball. They just didn't have any. And they played in what was now, it's hard to conceive, but they played what were now the Union parking lot uh, uh, on uh, 7th Street, uh, where the Union is. And they played in that parking lot. And uh, uh, they uh, did not move out on the fee lane until... Uh, right before I came to campus in 58, I imagine they came out in 55 or six or something uh, out uh, there. Uh, uh, I think more because uh, the union wanted it as a parking lot and they took it away from baseball. Uh, so baseball had no resources. And you, you mentioned the resources. Uh, scholarships for baseball still, in my opinion, are, are unfair. Uh, I think if you put in the time, uh, you, you should get a little more uh, help. But well, back uh, back in the 50s, there were very, very few scholarships and which needed uh, the players from other sports, correct? Well, absolutely. And uh, even the scholarships that were given were partials. Uh, so uh, uh, Ernie might have two scholarships per year, uh, and he would divide it up among six guys. And um, – there was also uh, in the Big Ten now. It's hard to hard to understand this today, but uh, scholarships uh, were based on need, so you couldn't uh, get a scholarship if your family uh, had the means to send you to school. Uh, you couldn't qualify anyway. So basically, our team was comprised of uh, non-scholarship players, and then uh, what uh, Ernie would do would be to parcel it out among several players and uh, uh, somebody would get a little help here and a little help there, uh, but he had no support. uh, And uh, then uh, what was uh, an event that uh, made it even worse uh, was uh, for, for men's baseball. Uh, It was good for women's sports, but terrible for minor sports like baseball and tennis. And that was Title IX, because now the athletic department not only had to take care of the men's sports, uh, but uh, uh, the uh, female sports uh, uh, were also uh, given uh, money. Uh, So baseball really just had uh, uh, nothing uh, in support, in coaches, 
uh, in trainers, uh, in uh, uniforms. Uh, uh, we had nothing. We bought our own shoes. We bought our own gloves. Uh, we had, uh, uh, you know, we were happy to get a hat. Uh, and uh, uh, it, we just had a, it was a very, uh, I, I, I like to tell the story, which you and I talked about before, uh, uh, there were a couple of baseball programs in the Big Ten that were uh, historically strong. Uh, one was uh, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota had good baseball. And in the spring, they always took a trip. Of course, you couldn't play baseball in Minnesota till uh, mid-April. Uh, uh, so uh, they, uh, they'd they send their teams to Florida or to Texas uh, the University of Michigan had good baseball, and they sent their players there. Uh, Indiana, not so much. Uh, so uh, when I was a sophomore, there was no spring trip. Uh, Western Michigan came to Bloomington for their sounding trip, and uh, we had uh, uh, then. But then when I was a junior, uh, uh, we took a trip. Uh, where did we go? We went to eastern Kentucky uh, uh, in March. And with the predictable snow, uh, and then uh, we went to uh, Moorhead, and uh, it was at a signal event that happened at Moorhead because we had played at Richmond, Kentucky, to Eastern Kentucky, and we all got on the bus and uh, we went to uh, uh, Moorhead. So we get to Moorhead, and uh, they only had one beat up downtown. Hotel. He couldn't even call it a hotel. It was more like a boarding house you'd see in an old Western movie. And we got off the bus that night, and one of the players looked around and saw where we were going in his flea trap, and he said, there are only nine teams in the Big Ten. And uh, it was true. Uh, here we were uh, going into this dump, and then we get in there, and the, uh, uh, there was a one-night clerk uh, who was sleeping, uh, and he's, uh, we woke him up and, uh, he said, uh, Ernie said, well, the team's here. We're ready for our rooms. And we all lined up and, uh, we had one black player, uh, a boy from Gary, uh, a nice player. He wasn't a starter, but he was a good guy. And his name was uh, Bob Black now. And uh, we had one guy and the, uh, uh, night clerk pointed over at him and he says, that nigger can't uh, be here. Uh, we don't, uh, he can't stay here. And uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, wholly embarrassing for all of us. We're standing there. So Ernie didn't know what to do. And he uh, then uh, uh, said, can I use your phone? So he called the coach at Moorhead and said, uh, I have a Negro boy here and uh, they won't let him stay here in a hotel. And a uh, uh, coach at Moorhead said, uh, well, uh, uh, I'll tell you what we can do. Uh, the kids are out of school, spring break, uh, so uh, why don't you send him out to the field house, have an infirmary there at the field house and with hospital beds, and there's nobody in them, and the boy can stay out there. So um, uh, I said, he's not staying out there by himself. So uh, we went out. I got uh, four other uh, outfielders, uh, and outfielders and Bobby, we all went out there together. Well, it turned out it has a very good ending because it snowed for the three days that we were there, so we didn't play, and we were in the field house, and Moorhead has a very nice field house. So we played basketball for three days while these other guys, everybody else on the team was in the uh, hotel 
and this flea trap. And uh, uh, here we were playing basketball in a first-class facility, but uh, uh, that's what baseball was. And then we went to Louisville, and it got we were snowed out. And we went to Southern Illinois, and it got snowed out. So we, it everything just was. Uh, uh, there were just it was just terrible then. And uh, I'd like to tell the story. We didn't have a scoreboard. Uh, can you imagine playing in a baseball game? Um, we didn't have a scoreboard except we had a, a piece, couple pieces of wood that were in center field that you would hang up the number if a team scored. Uh, the, uh, the the operator, so to speak, would take a number and hang it up there for for runs and hits uh, and errors. I don't think they even did that. They had maybe uh, just runs. Uh, but about the fourth or fifth inning, the kid would leave. It was a high school kid, Bloomington High School or something. He'd get bored standing out there, freezing his uh, rear end off. So he'd leave. And so uh, we never knew the score. So the only way we knew the score is to ask in the bench. Uh, uh, so the first thing that I did after I graduated law school and started to make some money is that I gave him a scoreboard. And uh, electric scoreboard, it, boy, it was a big moment there. We had a scoreboard. But when I played, we didn't have a scoreboard. And that was just indicative of the lack of support that was there. And what happened is, is that later, the Big Ten Network changed everything. And IU had an athletic director, a couple athletic directors that weren't real popular uh, due to the stuff with Coach Knight. Um, And um, I can't remember the first guy's name. He didn't last very long. Uh, then they got Rick Greenspan, and uh, Rick's son played baseball, and Rick had an interest in baseball. So um, uh, he had in his mind that, that they were going to build a, a new baseball facility, and Title IX was in, so they built a new softball stadium and baseball together, and they'd build them and, and get it done. But they didn't have any money. They came to me then, and uh, I had planned – I, I was donating a chair to the School of Business – and life insurance, and they couldn't fill the chair. They kept having new deans and new presidents of the university, and they didn't want to teach life insurance anymore. So I had made this commitment, and the money was sitting with the foundation, and Kurt Simic, who is one of the world's great everything's great guy, great leader, uh, great president of the foundation, he said, well, Bart, why don't we redo, but we'll build a new baseball field. You'd like that with the money. So I said, fine. Then uh, Terry Claypex became athletic director, and and he came to me and he said, uh, we can't do it. We don't have the money. And uh, Clarence Doniger, he wouldn't do it either. So uh, it wasn't until Greenspan came and the Big Ten Network started to turn out money like an ATM. And uh, they came back to me and said, "Let's, uh, uh, would you consider doing it again? Well, I'd already given the money to the law school. So the law school had the William Oliver uh, chair of taxation. And so I had to start over. So, um, but uh, uh, my contribution was minor uh, next to the uh, Big Ten Network. Uh, they did a terrific job and they built that beautiful stadium. And people said to me, well, what did you have to do about with it? And I said, I had nothing to do with it. They didn't ask me about anything. I, I didn't want to know. I didn't want people coming in and say, well, you made the right field too short or the left field too long or there's, the lights aren't good or there aren't enough toilets. When I played, we didn't have any toilets. There were no toilets at Sembauer Field when I played. You had a urinal and dugout. But uh, the, the, the other people, the fans, whatever, showed up, 
the few people that came, uh, they had to leave if they had to use a, a restroom. And if we needed to use a restroom, uh, we had to go back, get in a car, and go to the field house. That's where we dressed. We had any showers. We had nothing. And uh, from that to the beautiful facility that's there, uh, thanks to uh, uh, Greenspan and Fred Glass has been wonderful in supporting it. Now they take more trips. They go to California. They go to Texas. They come to Arizona. They go to Florida, South Carolina. We went to Richmond, Kentucky. Uh, that was it. And uh, so uh, they've really done a great job. And uh, we've really... And despite the, Despite some of the issues with funding until the Big Ten Network, there were some very good Indiana baseball players, and, and you mentioned a few. Uh, and what made the, the guys like Ted Klazuski and Sammy Esposito so great uh, in a situation where they weren't um, uh, appreciated resource-wise? Well, the thing was, they didn't come to Indiana for baseball. Neither one did. Uh, Klazuski, uh, who is considerably you know, deceased now, but uh, he was recruited by Bo McMillan to play football. And Sammy Esposito, who played shortstop for the White Sox, he was recruited by Branch uh, to play basketball. In fact, uh, uh, he would have started on the team that won the national championship instead of Burke Scott. Uh, uh, Burke Scott, I think, was from Tell City. Uh, Sammy Esposito would have been the guard next to Bobby Leonard on that team with Schlunk, Crock, and Farley. And um, then he signed. They didn't have the rules then about then you could sign any time. And he was such a good uh, shortstop uh, that he left. Um, uh, on our baseball team in 61, uh, uh, the best uh, record that Indiana had had, and probably the best team they'd ever had up until uh, a few years ago with the Schwarber uh, Travis Bunch, um, that uh, a team – uh, we had so many tall baseball players who were pitchers. Uh, Ernie Wilhoy was 6'5", uh, Charlie Hall 6'6", six, six or 6'7", six, Dave Granger 6'8". Uh, the next year, Dick Sparks, who was 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, I mean, we went through, we never went to airports because we never flew except to one, one way. We always had to take the bus. Uh, when we went to Minnesota and Iowa, they did let us fly. But every place else, we took the bus. But... Um, uh, uh, we went through a, uh, any kind of a hotel and uh, it looked like a pro basketball team. And we had all these guys, 6'8", 6'7", 6'9". They were all b- uh, baseball players. And then also uh, Phil Dickens let the football players play. So uh, uh, there were uh, Luke George, uh, Dave Mount. We had guys who were there. The thing that really made our team rounded out and terrific was the fact of the intelligence of the players. Um, our shortstop, uh, Bill Elliott, is a doctor today. Uh, our catcher, Bill Boner, uh, is a noted urologist today. Uh, Max Bailey platooned at first base in the outfield. He has a PhD, uh, was a professor. Um, uh, we had Bob Reinhardt, who was the best leader I ever played with at any level, uh, who was a coach. Uh, in the NBA and a college and is a scout now. Uh, Reiney was our third baseman. He has a master's degree. Uh, all these guys were smart, and um, uh, it really uh, enabled us to, uh, between the football players and the basketball players 
and the few of us that, in effect, walked on, uh, we had a, a, a what turned out to be a terrific team, and uh, uh, it was a, a wonderful uh, time because we didn't have any support. Nobody came to the games. Uh, I mean, our parents came. My mom and dad came, but uh, 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 they guys- you guys were 23-5-1 in that 1961 season. And, and in looking up that season, you split with Michigan. And uh, you finished, I believe, 11-3 uh, and three in the Big Ten, which was a, a game or a half a game out of the championship. And it was the teams you referenced early, Michigan and Minnesota, that were was ahead of uh, IU at the time. Um, and what I wa- saw is there were four teams from the Midwest District that played to go to the College World Series in 1961. Michigan was one, and they had lost to Western Michigan, which you said had also come down to play at some point. How far do you think this 1961 team could have gone if the tournament had been expanded in, like, current day uh, 32 or 64 teams? Uh, and if you had gotten a, a, a chance in there, how good was – that 61 team that you were a part of? Well, what you don't realize and what today's fans don't realize is that Indiana University was given the most severe penalty of any university in the history of the NCAA. In the history, you talk about, whoa, SMU got the death penalty in football, but they still let the basketball team play. They still let the the, uh, uh, baseball team track and everything. But the NCAA came down on Indiana so sternly uh, because of of, uh, uh, alleged football recruit. I don't know when alleged they did it. Uh, Dickens did it. So uh, the first uh, Dickens was suspended from coaching football his first year. So uh, his line coach, a guy named Bob Hicks, coached football. Then Dickens came back. And instead of, in effect, accepting his penalty that he better not cheat, um, he just uh, cheated like Rick Pitino and Calipari. Uh, so um, uh, he wasn't going to take anything from the NCAA. So the NCAA said to Indiana University, okay, boys, um, there were no girls, uh, okay, boys, uh, all sports, baseball, basketball, football, tennis, golf, swimming, it cost Indiana four NCAA swimming champions. The 1960 Olympic team was basically the IU um, uh, swimming team uh, with Frank McKinney and Mike Troy and, and Alan Summers and that bunch. And um, so, and the basketball team. Uh, so none of us knew we weren't going to any tournaments. That's what happened with the basketball team. Uh, Ohio state won the national championship in 1960 with Jerry Lucas and Indiana beat them like 18 points the week before the NCAA. It should have beaten them in Columbus. If Jerry Bass hadn't thrown the ball away like five times in the last minute but um, uh, but everybody we all knew we weren't going anyplace so it never I mean Michigan came uh, both their starting pitchers pitched in the major leagues a right-hander named Mike Joyce and a left-hander named Fritz Fisher and their catcher uh, uh, played 18 years for the Tigers and Bill Freehand and we split with them and uh, Paul Dean uh, won the second game we lost the first game to um uh, to Fisher and beat Joyce in the second game. And uh, Michigan uh, went on. Uh, we lost at Minnesota and we lost at Wisconsin and we lost to Wisconsin on a freak play where the ball was hit. I was on second base 
and the ball was hit to center field, and the center fielder came in and trapped it, and it came out of his glove, and he picked the ball up and put it back in his glove and held it up, and the umpire uh, called him out, uh, called uh, whoever was who was following uh, uh, me, uh, called him out, and Ernie went ballistic because and we I saw the ball land on the ground, and he picked it up. But those are the three games that we lost. So we were certainly competitive, whether we would have been competitive with uh, uh, Southern Cal and Texas and uh, Florida, those schools. That, I mean, they, we didn't play any games. Uh, we got snowed out. And, and so, uh, uh, but we were formidable. We had bright guys, good guys. Uh, today, we're still friends. I had dinner with Bill Bornard, our catcher, uh, Bill Ilya is using my tickets for the Illinois game uh, this weekend. Uh, uh, we're still uh, Dick Sparks and I are in touch. Uh, Sparks was a freshman then. He came on the next year uh, in 62, and he could throw the ball harder than anybody I ever saw. And uh, we played against a lot of guys pitching the major leagues. Nobody could throw as hard as Dick Sparks. And uh, so um, uh, we had – but he was a basketball player. He played with the Menardsdales. And John McLaughlin. Uh, so uh, Ernie Ernie never had a chance to scout. Uh, our best uh, scholarship player uh, was a guy named Eddie LeDuc, who uh, 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 we used to call him Stump. He, was, he used to be 5'6". He's probably 5'3 now, I imagine. I haven't seen him, but he can't be very big. Uh, but he could hit. He was All-American, and he, he could play second base. Ernie took him from – he went to New Albany High School – uh, Ernie never saw him play. Imagine giving a guy a, a half scholarship. He never even saw the guy play. He just heard that he was a nice player, and he offered him a scholarship. But Ernie couldn't scout. He didn't have summer baseball. Um, I had the Before I had that good year in, in my junior year, the summer before, I went to Europe all summer. I was on a student tour. I didn't touch a baseball at the time school was out until I came back. There weren't these travel squads and things. I mean, that's what's made baseball great. We didn't have guys from Indiana playing in the major leagues then like we do now with uh, uh, the different guys that are playing. Uh, must be a half a dozen kids playing high school baseball now that are playing in the leagues. Well, we didn't have that. Uh, uh, there, was, uh, there were very few uh, because no, there was no summer baseball. I played in Shelbyville. Uh, they never had any summer baseball. There was none. Uh, I went to summer. My dad sent me to Dodger Town with the Duro Beach. Uh, it's like a summer camp for eight weeks because of Carl Erskine. That's where I learned to play baseball. Uh, the, bas- the baseball coach at Shelbyville High School, he was an assistant basketball coach. They gave him probably $200 to coach baseball. He never cared. He never went to a Cincinnati Reds game. He never listened to a game. He wouldn't pay attention to the World Series. He had been a baseball fan. He took the 250 bucks and he coached baseball. Well, needless to say, he's not teaching us very much. And what, what was it like, excuse me, what was it like playing for uh, Ernie Andrus? Um, well, Ernie was and, a guy. And, and how did he help you as a player? Um, well, Ernie was a, uh, first of all, he was a good guy. Ernie, he, he wasn't a Coach Knight type guy or an Archie Miller kind of guy with intensity. Uh, Ernie was, first of all, a gentleman and a nice man. Um, he was not a baseball savant. He wasn't uh, 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 La Russa uh, or Sparky Anderson or that. What Ernie did is that uh, he was a good leader and a good guy, 
Uh, you could uh, trust him. Uh, he had confidence in us. Uh, he let us play. Um, now, uh, were we at the uh, uh, at the top of the uh, hit and run and, and hitting behind the runner and, and uh, moving runners along and stuff like that? No. Uh, uh, tell the story. Uh, Dick Persinger, who died a few years ago, told the story. He's pitching against, I don't know, Wisconsin or Michigan or something. He's walked like two guys in a row. And Ernie walks out to the mound, and he says uh, uh, – he didn't say, gosh darn it. He, he used the harder word, and he said, uh, gosh darn it, Persinger, throw strikes. And Persinger turns around to Boner and says, what does Elsie think I'm trying to do? <laughs> and I was the kind of leader that Ernie was. He wasn't a uh, – uh, he wasn't a, a leader in the way of, of um, uh, Tracy uh, Smith or – Chris Lamonis. Ernie was a good man, a nice guy, had a lot of confidence in us. Uh, it was fun to play for him. I loved him. I did the eulogy at his funeral. Uh, uh, he was, uh, Doris, his wife, is like 96 or 7, still alive, still plays bridge every day. I'm still in touch with her. Uh, she lives in Atlanta with her daughter. Uh, uh, Ernie was a wonderful, wonderful man. But I will tell you this about guys who played for him. I've always had a philosophy that if you play for a coach and you do well, you're pretty much like the coach. And if you sit on the bench and you're not playing, not so much. And I think that's the way it is uh, for the guys that played for Coach Knight. Uh, and uh, uh, I think that's going to be the way it is with a lot of coaches and players. Uh, if you play and you have success, they like you're happy. And if you're not, not. So we won with Ernie. Uh, he was always a gentleman. He treated us well. He was uh, uh, he was interested in the kids, um, uh, having enough money to have lunch and stuff. Guys would tell stories. He, he never did to do this with me, but because my dad uh, was a man of means, and uh, Ernie would give guys money so they could fix their car and stuff. Uh, it was all illegal. Uh, uh, they weren't getting anything anyway. But uh, if you had a flat tire, Ernie would take care of him. And, I mean, he was just out of his own pocket. There was no money out of the Big Ten. He just did it because uh, he cared about the children. And uh, I loved it. I loved the man. How did uh, – let's talk a little bit about yourself as a player. What were your strengths and, and, and what was something that you constantly had to work on? And, and then follow that up with, uh, if you would please, um, playing baseball and attending IU. How did that help you uh, as an adult in, in both life and, um, and business? Well, uh, playing baseball, uh, uh, I, was a, I was before, right before the designated hitter, came in and I was before the um, uh, uh, the draft uh, when I played uh, the teams would sign you uh, the Red Sox were very much a factor uh, because Ernie had played for the Red Sox so there was uh, the, the best player that ever played for Ernie uh, was a guy named Bob Lawrence who then succeeded Ernie as a coach and a real good guy well uh, Lawrence played in the Red Sox. I don't think he ever got to the major leagues. If he did, it was for the proverbial cup of coffee. But um, uh, I played in um, left field, and uh, I could hit. But there were five tools that even today in baseball uh, they want uh, when they want a, a player. They want the ability to hit, 
ability to hit with power, the ability to run, the ability to catch the ball, and the ability to throw. So they want five tools. Well, Mickey Mantle and uh, Mike Trout, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., they have five tools. Uh, I had two. Uh, I had two tools. Uh, I could run, um, and uh, uh, now I can hardly walk after having uh, five joint replacements, but uh, then I could run, and um, I could hit. Um, I, I wasn't hitting with power much, but um, uh, that would, could have come as I got older. I was the youngest player on the team and uh, in my class all the time because uh, I had just turned 17 when I came to college. So um, I was younger than I – mean, we had one guy on our team, a real good guy, Jerry Flanagan. He was like 26 or 80. He'd been in service. And Jerry Gates, who was that old. So here I'm playing with guys seven, eight years older than I am. So they're men. I'm a boy. And there were no weight lifting or anything then. I never lifted a weight in my life. The only guys that lifted weights were the football players. Uh, the basketball players never lifted weights. The swimmers, none of them ever lifted weights. So, uh, and I was a, 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 a below average outfit. Uh, I just uh, had uh, hands of stone. Uh, the first time that Gene Ring, who was a freshman coach, uh, saw me in the outfield, uh, he'd been good friends with, he played with Bill Garrett and Lou Watson. He was good friends with my dad. And he saw me in the outfield. He used to call me Cough. And he'd say, Cough, you got to get a bigger glove. Uh, because, I mean, I was just, uh, but uh, Ernie never took me out for defensive purposes because I could hit. But, um, so I really only had two tools. I could hit. And um, uh, it was fun. And then uh, when I was uh, first started, I, I was platooned. And then when I came back as a senior, uh, Ernie said, you're, you're batting fourth. And whether it's going to be against right hand, I batted left handed. You're right handed or left handed pitching, you're batting fourth. So uh, I wasn't so sure. But uh, I hit left handers just as well as I hit right handers. And uh, uh, that was Ernie who had the confidence in me the, that I could do it. Um, when I graduated, um, the uh, I would have loved to have played professional baseball. Some of the guys did, uh, but they never got uh, very high. Sparks did. Uh, our pitcher, a guy named Bobby Marr from Louisville, who was our Friday ace. I mean, he was a true Friday ace. Um, uh, he he was just our Friday pitcher, um, but uh, he had a bad back and used to, by the end of the season, he was sleeping on the floor before the games and things. Uh, uh, he signed with the Red Sox at the end of the season. Uh, LeDuc signed, but they were sent to Dubuque, Iowa and stuff like that. And they hung around for a couple of years. Dean did too. But um, uh, my wife had no interest in, uh, I was just getting married, and she had no interest in living in Morristown, Tennessee, for the summer. Um, she was from Indianapolis and from a nice family, and uh, that wasn't in her plan. So, um, and Vietnam was there, and I was ready to go into service, but I went to law school, and then we had a child. So I graduated, and I joined my dad in business. And uh, the guys that I, we stayed together close friends uh, forever, this team of guys who cared about each other. I could only hope for the, the guys that are playing now uh, uh, that uh, uh, these guys, as they uh, go forward, uh, they can retain the friendships 
that are there and uh, because it was a wonderful time and uh, the fact that I had success uh, uh, I wanted uh, I, I was one of the few people that not only that I loved to play uh, I went to Dodger Town with the Dodgers to, to uh, first of all as a child in summer camp for eight weeks for five summers and then went back as an instructor then I went to baseball to fantasy camp for 25 years my wife used to say every time I came home, I had to have an, another body part replaced. I'd have a shoulder replaced or a hip replaced. But I loved it. Play for a week, act like a fool. Uh, finally, I got to be 72. Uh, I was playing with, uh, went to the Reds fantasy camp, the Dodgers, because they went to California, closed up at Vero Beach. And a good friend of mine, Mar Bettinger, and I went to the Reds camp. But at 72, I couldn't hit anymore. It was very disappointing. I thought I'd be able to hit till I was 90, but at 72, I guess I was, I was done. So I was finished, but I loved it. And, uh, I followed baseball. We tried to get baseball to come to Indianapolis and I, I was ahead of a group. Uh, we had a deal made with the Oakland athletics to come to Indianapolis in 1981. And they had all these guys, uh, uh, uh McGuire and Conseco Catfish Hunter and all these great players, and they were dying at the gate in Oakland. And the family, the Haas family, wanted to sell them. And, and uh, I had a deal made uh, to buy 40% of the team for $10 million. I didn't have $10 million, but uh, the Simon family did. They owned the Pacers and the shopping centers. And Fred, one of the three brothers, uh, was going to be part of it. He was going to be president, I was going to be general manager. And we had the deal, and the Haas agreed to it. And Herb Simon sat down at the meeting with me uh, and said, Bart, baseball's boring. I said, Herb, did you ever watch the Pacers on the second night of a back-to-back and see you talk about boring, and you want, and you don't want to have baseball in Indianapolis? Well, Mayor Hudnut had wanted to play in the Hoosier Dome, but it wouldn't have worked. It was too small. The footprint wasn't big enough. We thought because they could play in Seattle and Minneapolis in domes that they could play in Indianapolis. But the Hoosier Dome, because of the railroad uh, uh, on the south side, wasn't big enough. So it wouldn't have worked anyway. And besides, baseball's a flawed sport because financially it's great in Chicago. It's great in New York, uh, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Kansas City. Uh, Milwaukee, not so much. And so um, we were in trouble. You're talking about stadiums, and and I I appreciate your time here. i got to ask you, you mentioned earlier that you are the benefactor uh, with the name on our baseball stadium, but I've also found out that you have uh, graciously donated to other stadiums in the state of Indiana in the Indianapolis area. Why is giving back to baseball such an important part of who you are? Well, uh, giving back, period, is. My dad was a wonderful man, uh, period. Uh, he was born in Poland, came here in 1907. He was four years old. Um, he uh, 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 spent a lot of his time in community stuff, and he loved Indiana University. He never spent a day in Indiana University other than in a seat at a game. And uh, so uh, I felt that it was important, um, uh, the baseball uh, I gave uh, at Marion College uh, the stadium there at the Jewish Community Center. Uh, I wanted to do the baseball stadium back in the 90s, and uh, it's been a dream to me. I can tell you every time I listen to one of your podcasts or uh, 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 turn on 
and uh, listen to or read in the paper and uh, the Daily Student or something and it says they're going to play at Bart Kaufman Field. I just laugh. I just am so happy as I'm and uh, I'm here in Arizona now and uh, coming home this week. Uh, we've been here all winter and uh, every time I hear him talk about the Bart or Bart Kaufman Field, I just laugh. I'm just so happy. Uh, uh, that they have such a nice place and that uh, thanks to Fred Glass, I have a tremendous respect for Tracy Smith, the job that Chris has done in uh, at succeeding Tracy um, and to see Indiana uh, being mentioned in the top 10 or 15 teams in the country uh, the top 25 in the RPI uh, this is wonderful and I encourage all the alumni Kurt Simic who headed the foundation for forever uh, was just a, a terrific leader and cared about the university. And uh, I have helped uh, in raising uh, lots of money for the university because I'm so proud of the university. It's a wonderful uh, university. It's a, uh, a wonderful part of our state. And uh, uh, I just can't think of a better place to uh, donate money than Indiana University. So it's been my privilege. Well, we are honored uh, that you wanted to come on with uh, us rookie podcasters uh, talking Hoosier uh, baseball, uh, and we want to uh, take your lead and promote Indiana baseball as well as Indiana University. And uh, you said you're not hitting anymore, but, sir, I, I would disagree. I think you're a, a big hit, and, and you're giving back to communities and to Indiana University will be a hit for uh, a long time continuing. Uh, we're better off because of your service and Indiana baseball um, appreciates that. Uh, I know the fans do, and uh, we appreciate you watching the podcast. So uh, please stop by. Uh, we have tailgates on Saturday games. If you, you get back in town May um, and make it down to the BART, uh, we'd love to host you for a, um, a tailgate. But last question, and I'll let you go. Or, or go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um what advice would you give to um, young athletes, young baseball, those players at Indiana University who are playing right now? What advice would you give uh, to those athletes that you've learned through your life and through baseball? Well, the first thing is you got to get your education. Um, you got to finish. Um, uh, one of the people that I've taken an interest in and I'm very fond of is Scott Efros, who pitched a couple of years ago. And uh, Scott signed after his junior year, and I was on his case about get that degree, and he was busy. He was pitching in uh, uh, South Bend, and he was pitching in uh, – I went to see him in South Bend. Then he was pitching in uh, uh, Myrtle Beach, and now he's pitching in Tennessee. I had, But he comes here with the Cubs in spring training, and I've been encouraging him to get his degree. And he had. And that was the first thing he told me when he saw me. He said, Bart, I've got my degree and I'm very proud of him. And so the first thing is you got to get an education because there's so few Schwarbers uh, 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 on earth. And so uh, get your degree. Uh, secondly, if you want to play baseball, um, there's no better place to play uh, than here, especially if you're from the state of Indiana. Do I think that if you're from New Orleans, you ought to come to Indiana? No. Uh, if you're from Austin, Texas, I think you can have better choices. I was very surprised 
that some of the like Feynman uh, came from California to Bloomington. Uh, uh, he must have some kind of a wish for cold weather. I mean, they come, but uh, I'm sure glad he did. But uh, uh, the uh, the kids in Indiana, I don't know why in the heck that any kid from Greensburg wants to go to Lexington. Uh, I don't know why anybody uh, from uh, uh, northern part of the state uh, wants to go to LSU. Uh, they may play a few more games, but hey, uh, if you're going to live in Indiana, uh, there's no better place to be than to go to school in Indiana and then have your lifelong friends in Indiana. And so uh, my advice is get that degree and stay home. Thank you, sir. And and hang on after I shut off the, the recorder here, because I'd like to follow up on a few things. But uh, thanks again uh, for joining us. It was an honor to uh, talk baseball and, and, and your life and, and the things that you've given back to uh, our communities. Uh, this has been a very special edition of Talking Hoosier Baseball on Sports Talk with Tonsoni. Special thank you to Jared Morris of the Assembly Call for introducing me to Mr. Kaufman and arranging helping to arrange this interview. Please follow us on Twitter at see you at the Bart and at sports tons um, and share with us your thoughts. And until next time, we will see you at the Bart. Go Hoosiers. To see my baby in her